Most bankers aren't ready to help you until after their third cup of coffee. But with Central National Bank's after-hours service, you don't have to wait for the bank lobby to open to get help. You can contact us from 6 to 8.30 in the morning or from 5 to 10 in the evening, and we'll connect you to a real, live, local person who can answer questions and fix problems seven days a week. Bank different. Bank central. Central National Bank. Member FDIC. Welcome to our next episode of Sister Speak with Dr. Emma J. Church. Um, I am here today with a brand new friend that I am about to make in front of all of you, and her name is Colleen Heaton. And Colleen reached out after I had posted about the podcast and, and really inviting and encouraging brave women to share real stories about their lives, the stories that don't typically get featured on glossy magazines or HGTV. And so these are the stories that really break and also heal us. And they're really important to hear. And so Colleen is going to be sharing with us today about her life, the struggles of her life, the pain and the overcoming of the pain. Um, and so welcome, Colleen. I am thrilled to get to know you and just want to invite you to share with both me and the listeners a little bit about who you are in the here and now before we get to start understanding your life story and the things that caused you to want to share and want to to share with our audience um, the things that you've learned. So welcome and yeah, tell us about yourself. Okay, my name is Colleen and uh, I have one L in my name and I tell people I have one kidney, one bicep and one L in my name. So it should be easy to remember. Um, and so that kind of opens up a lot of questions about, really, tell me about this, you know. But um, bottom line, I love to help people, and I want to make the world better. And I think that there's more good than bad out there, and I hope that I can sow a little bit of good every day. And I hope that when I encounter people, I can leave them a little better than I found them or certainly not ever leave them worse. Mm -hmm. And um, at the end of my life, when it's reduced to an obituary and a and video on a screen, did I make a difference? Absolutely. You know, before Colleen and I started, we were just kind of running through some things, and I shared with Colleen um, just my perspective on being someone myself who has been through a lot of trauma and pain and you know, continue to struggle with with life uh, daily, weekly, um, that there is a choice point I feel that people make to where pain can, can create a bitterness and a resentfulness and a misery to where all you see is pain around and you. And shame. And shame, yeah. Trauma and shame, I think, are conjoined twins. Um, and so much of the time, the work that I do with patients is trying to surgically remove those mm -hmm. two um, and, and so that we can let go of that shame because that shame is what makes the negativity, um, all of the trauma that is around us, it's in the news, it's on social media, it's in the lives of others, and maybe even in our own lives, um, that's all that you see. And so there is a choice at a certain point to allow that suffering and pain to make you soft to create love in you, and then the natural desire there is to seek out that love, to find that, to see it in your life, even if there is so much darkness still around. And then, you know, for Colleen and I both, to want to use that to help others. And so, you know, this is one of the things that makes me so thrilled about having you today um, on the show is that you have used the stories of your life um, there's been a lot of loss, I can tell, at least of body parts, um, and we'll, we'll hear more in, in a second, I'm sure, um, but taking that and using that to love others well um, and to see the light and beauty in life. So 
I, I'm really excited to hear this journey for you. You know, what, what makes sense for you as a place to start as we, we dig into the things that have shaped you into the Colleen you are now? I feel like I've lived multiple different lives because I say I was raised by my grandparents and they were the most wonderful, loving influence ever. But there's also this time in my life where I was not with them and uh, I suffered horrible abuse as a child. And um, just to kind of capsule, capsule form all of that, um, a few years ago I wrote this. It's called Lonely Little Girl. When I see the empty eyes of an unloved child, when I feel a young girl reaching out in some strange way because she rarely hears someone say that she's good and she's needed and she's loved more than the world, I think of you, lonely little girl. Not a day goes by that I'm not reminded of you. Short blonde hair, eyes so blue. The eyes always tell the story so true. When I see empty eyes, I think of you. I want to reach out and hold you, hold you close, take you out of harm's way, because you need someone to love you, and you need someone to say that you're good, and you're needed, and you're loved more than the world. I am you, lonely little girl. The blue eyes tell the story, words no one should ever say, a story of innocence lost, no, not lost, stolen, day by day. A story so sad, too sad to even be true. I have to look away because empty eyes make me think of you. Wow. It is profoundly evident to me um, that you have done some inner child healing work uh, to be able to view our little girl selves and have deep compassion and sorrow for that little girl and love her well as our adult selves by validating and seeing her you know that that just speaks so much to me um clearly all the healing that you have been doing in your own life story um so that the abuse that you suffered i would imagine really set your life on a path that potentially you are finding is not your path it was the abuse being worked out. Tell me, tell me how um, that foundational childhood, that little girl, tell me her story, where she has come since that time. Um, the uh, with the abuse became um, rejection. Um, my mother chose the abuser over me, and so I lost my siblings and my mother when I was 12, 13 years old. And that is a time when a girl really needs a mother. And I had my grandmother, and she was lovely and wonderful and perfect, but it wasn't a mother. Mm -hmm. And I'm 45 years old today, and there are still times when I think it'd be nice to be able to call my mom today. It'd be nice to have that person and I've had many mother figures that I'm still very close to, and I love dearly, and they're wonderful. But there is that spot where a child needs that parent. Mm -hmm. And so rejection is a very difficult thing for me still today. And accepting, okay, this was my life, but now this is my life. And... I don't have to pretend to be anything or anybody. I'm okay just the way I am. And so I, I started using an email address, being Colleen. I'm just going to be me. And uh, in my very early 40s, I woke up one day and I was like, I'm ready to just be me. Mm -hmm. And that involved a divorce because I was trying to be someone for everybody else, but not me and when my now husband and I got together one day I was in a very low place and he said to me you don't see what other people see do you he said you don't see what the families that you serve see 
why, why can't you look at yourself like other people do? And in my mind, I was seeing myself the way I thought other people did. And that was such an eye-opening experience for me, for someone to say, I see you. Please see yourself. Wow, yes. And so the the journey is... Um, it, it's still going on, definitely. It's it's still happening. It's a daily thing of learning to be Colleen. Mm-hmm. And I am completely fine the way I am. I don't have to put on all this makeup and look like somebody else. Um, we talked, uh, we joked about um, Facebook filters and, wow, you look like your pictures. Mm-hmm. Um, that's, that's not a thing anymore, is hiding behind those things and wanting to look like or be like someone else. I shaved my head so that I could not hide behind my hair anymore. Mm -hmm. Of course, it was for a little girl with alopecia. That was the main reason. But it made me face the world. This is me. There is no covering up. There is no hiding anymore. Yeah. You know, what you're describing resonates so much with me and my own experience where all of a sudden you wake up one day and you can't continue the life that you had been leading, a life based in messages of rejection, based in messages of not good enough, of trauma, of, you know, this shame piece is a message that says, I am bad. And so when bad things happen to children, the way that they internalize those, because of their ego structure and their development, They think everything is related to them. It's kind of a very egoic, self-centered space, but not in the way that I think people talk about being egoic or having a big ego. It's, I am the cause of the things that happen. And so when I'm abused, I must be bad to have deserved that. And then you live this life based out of those messages. Um, What scares me sometimes is that potentially some people never wake up. Some people never have that moment that they say, I just have to be Emma. I just have to be Colleen. What do you think it was that led you to that breaking point? People experience that very differently. For me, it was almost like a switch flipped inside of me. And I was just different in a moment. You know, I've been in therapy as a therapist, but I've been in therapy for 20 years. I've been practicing as a psychologist for 11 years now. And so, you know, I've been working on things, but there was nothing uh, specifically outside of what I deemed to be maybe the spiritual experience that all of a sudden a switch flipped in me. What, what was it for you that woke you up? The night that Barack Obama was elected president, it was his, when he was reelected, I put on social media, how? Can Christians vote for this man? Mm. And I saw the world the way that I had grown up, and religion was my safety. Everything that I did, I could say, I do this because the Ten Commandments. I do this because I'm better than you. I'm not a bad person. I'm a good person because I'm following all of these laws and all of these rules and I go to church and I don't let my son watch Spongebob. Oh my gosh, I am so much better than everyone else. And it wasn't a conscious thought. Correct. It was just an ingrained thought from growing up in that very, very strict religious environment and not working that out for myself, letting other people tell me this is how it's going to be. Mm-hmm. And someone called me out on it. And this person said, oh, let's, t- let's talk about this. Why, why do you admire George W. Bush? And I said, well, he's a cowboy like my granddaddy. And they said, why do you dislike Barack Obama? And I said, we have nothing in common. And he said, wait a minute. He's married. He has a family. He, he you know, and, and started pointing out these things. And I said, I just can't identify with the man and his stated values. And he said, 
maybe you can't, but think of all the people that can. And when you say all Christians have to be like you and think like you and vote like you, you are saying nobody else's thoughts and feelings and emotions matter. There are children who identify with Barack Obama because they have never seen a representation of themselves in public before. Everything in my life changed on my couch that night. And I didn't I didn't see myself, of course, as a racist or anything. It was good versus bad. It was Christian versus non-Christian. And that's not even what was going on in that election. But in my mind and the the media that I consumed and the the messages that I was getting uh, from the pulpit and uh, through my close contacts, that's the way it had to be. You had to believe this and vote this way and do this and live this way. Why? And so I started questioning and um, kind of some deconstructing started happening and realizing I don't even know myself. How do I, how can I be Colleen? I don't know me. And now how do I shift with this child of mine from this is how we live to let's live. Let's let's do this thing and figure it out as we go along. And um, in um, No Limitations, an organization, a nonprofit that I've started, our colors are yellow, black, and gray. I love yellow. It's so bright and sunny and happy and uh, just stand, uh, stands out there. And when somebody's got on yellow, I'm like, oh, I like that's That's just bright. It's sunshine. It's happy. Black is associ- associated with trauma and you know the darkness and and fear and so we have both of those in our life but most of life we live in the gray that's where um that's where life happens and memories are made and instead of spending all of our time in the gray trying to get to the yellow or just trying to stay out of the black let's just deal with this and live life. Um, There's going to be days when it's all sunshine and yellow. There's going to be days when it's tragic. Let's deal with those. Let's come back and meet in the middle and live our lives. Yeah, and and what strikes me is, is the humanness of it. We are human together. These are human experiences, and when we are given this message that we can rise above the human experience by doing it the right way, um, by following the voice of God as told to us by a human being with their own context and their own issues and their own, you know, drives that we can get very lost in that. You know, there's, and I always, I'm going to, this is going to be a theme on the podcast. I will misquote famous quotes and I will attribute them to the wrong people. I will make remedies of that as I'm able, but um, your deconstruction is so evident, and, and what an incredible snapshot of a moment where that just kind of exploded um, for you. But uh, I, th- I think it is Karl Marx that said religion is opioid for the masses. You know, there is this, if I follow these rules, and to me religion is, a, is rules, yes. spirituality is the divine, but religion is do this, do this, do this. And rules spoken by humans in a specific context with specific agendas, which, you know, we live in a world that power and wealth equate safety and success. um, And we're given that message all the time. You know, we need this rule book to have the power to be the right one, to be better, um, to be safe. And so it's so understandable that your journey and, and the way that you've been taught probably in the church um, about the right way to do things was creating some sort of safety to you that when your friend called you out, you became aware was an illusion. Yes. 
Um, and so what a profound experience to have that shattered in that way. My, my own deconstruction happened over many years, so, so slowly that I didn't even realize it. Um, and so it was a gentle experience for me. You know, there's pain in realizing that what you've been taught is not the stuff of the person that is Christ in the Bible. Um, but yeah, tell me about, about how that all shifted. You know, you, you mentioned part of that awakening then led to profound changes in your life, like a divorce, thinking about how you raise your children. So what, what was life like after that moment, that day on your couch where the veil was just torn in front of you? I am very much an all or nothing person. Mm-hmm. I am in or out. I am on or off. Um, and when that switch was flipped, it was, um, there was no going back. There was only questioning and why am I doing this? Why am I tolerating this? Why do I believe this? And just a, an all-out search. Who am I? Not who do I want to be. Who am I? And just be that. Be that person. Because that person is who I'm intended to be. Um, it, it's still um, a definite process. And to, to look back and question um, memories that I have, of my life, and is it really that way, or is that just how I remember it? Um, I lost both of my grandparents and my birth father um, through all of this, and their kindness and loving ways, their gentleness was rooted in religion, and I had to figure out what what was real and what was just made up based on what I believed was supposed to happen to a good Christian girl. Mm-hmm. What did that journey look like for you, figuring out what was real? I would imagine that the love and kindness and gentleness that you received in the nurturing from your grandparents is still something that is very real for you, the love, and maybe not the, the religious perspective, but when we are truly loved well, that, that imprints in our body in a way that, you know, people can invalidate each other's feelings, invalidate each other's life experiences. But when you start to get real with yourself and actually feel in your body um, love, feel in your body fear, you know, it's hard to deny those things. So you, you came into this place of searching for what was real. For me, I have read a whole heck of a lot you know, I, I've done these inventories of the people and experiences in my life and how they impacted me and, and those sorts of things. But, um, yeah, how did you go about the process of becoming Colleen or, or learning what was real for you? I remember slowly I was no longer near so angry. Mm-hmm. And so I knew something Something was changing. Something was happening. And it wasn't all very evident. But I, I realized that I could laugh out loud. And that's a strange thing for me. And I, I've never told anybody this. I realized I had a laugh. And it was okay to laugh out loud. And it didn't matter how it sounded. Laughter's laughter. And it's a good thing. Um, and I had always hidden that. And I believed that I lived in a world of happy people that good things happened to. And I was a person who was just left out of that for whatever reason. I was never going to have that complete happiness and satisfaction and contentment in my life. It just wasn't going to happen. 
And in fact, I had someone tell me one time, sometimes people just can't be happy. And also, happiness is what happens. You have to have joy. God did not put you here to be happy. He put you here to do a job and all of those kinds of things. And I realized, wait a minute, I'm happy today. I, I've found joy today in, in simple things. And the idea that I can laugh out loud and be goofy and, yeah, people may look at me, but they may also feel free to be able to laugh as well and to be themselves. And I was, I was no longer that, um, just that closed in ball of fear and shame and I can't mess up. I can't do anything wrong. I have to be good for everybody all the time. Mm -hmm. And over the years, like I said, it's like I've lived multiple lives because it's like a different person exists today. And, and I'm free and I'm happy and I'm sad that it took me this long and I'm sad that I raised my son not knowing the things that, that I'm now able to share with him. Uh, but uh, he's kind of come along this journey as well and figuring things out for himself and, and I've encouraged him, question, ask why. Don't, don't just take a job because you have to have money. Find your passion. Find what you love. I don't care if he sells shoes on the side of the road. I want him to be happy. And he said that he grew up seeing me so unhappy and different jobs that I did because I had to have something to make money to take care of him. Not, this is my passion and I get to go do this every day. And I'm suddenly in that place in my life where I make the decisions I allow in what I want. I keep out what I don't. And I'm protecting the, that little girl, but I'm protecting this woman as well. And like I said, figuring it out as I go along. It sounds like in this process, you have been learning to value yourself and to find what is good and sacred in yourself, in the thing that is you, the thing that is Colleen, the things that make you laugh, the yes. things that bring you joy, as opposed to this um, kind of command to experience joy. You know, with trauma, we detach from our bodies. And so at a young age, um, feeling anything really in your body is almost impossible if there's been trauma there um, the brain protects us and so you know I, I'm I resonate so strongly with this idea of you know you should feel joy and life is not about happiness in my own um, kind of Christian upbringing that was very conservative and and um, dogmatic uh, being a 10-year-old with clinical depression, I did not have the joy of the Lord, and therefore I was doing it wrong. Exactly. And and I, I carried the weight and the self-blame and self-shame, like, I want to do this right, and I want to follow these rules, and there's no joy in me, and therefore God must have abandoned me, or I must be damaged, I must not be worthy, um, and so, you know, as you're sharing this, I'm like, oh God, I'm, t I can just picture myself in the church service at 14 years old, not able to integrate a God of love and this God that is angry, a God that hates and can send to hell and a God that loves and will save and, and that I just must be the problem here. Right. That, that was my life until my early forties. Tell me about, I would imagine there was this having to shed of the, the people and the places and the things that were filling your life, you know, when you're indoctrinated and participating in that culture that gives you the messages that, that were inside of you around Barack Obama's election, when you realize that it is all an illusion and that that illusion is pain and that that illusion is oppress oppressive you know you you were confronted with how that might oppress others 
But, you know, my my experience sitting with you here now and, and resonating is you are also being oppressed within that system. You as Colleen were not good enough. You didn't have joy. You weren't, you know, the traumas that had happened to you. If God is good, if I follow these rules, then why? There, there's something bad about me. So we've got to leave those things, those messages. Um, you, you, you said that you went through a divorce um, I'm not sure if you were part of a church community at the time, but tell me what all you had to lose in order to find yourself after that. There was a time when we would attend Sunday school and church and a second church service every Sunday. We were in church Sunday night. We were in church Wednesday if it was available. I listened to um, stri- only Christian music. Um, everything and I believed every word of every song of of everything that I heard I didn't question it um this is that's the way that it was um and I felt like I was going straight to hell if I changed the station on the radio if I went one mile over the speed limit and all of a sudden I can listen to different music and I can listen to a news story and think, wait a minute, that's a different perspective. Um, I can hear somebody talking about their struggles and not think, well, if they just had Jesus, because it's not that simple. Um, and letting, letting that go and letting other people be themselves and being okay with that. Uh, was a was a big process and and I have always been a very compassionate person and have wanted to to understand people but I could not see people outside of religion how could you vote for that man how could you do that you there's no way that person is a Christian um, and people are just people and I, I was told you're not a human, you're a soul having a human experience. And wait a minute, I am human. By God, I'm going to screw things up. And you know what? I'm not going straight to hell because I mess up. That's part of it. The strength that it takes to admit your humanness and to claim that it doesn't condemn you is something that is remarkably foreign. Um, I know that (laughs) you are speaking words that are inside of me, things that I have thought, heard, said before. Um, I did not know that we would be talking about a spiritual awakening experience (laughs) today, but I love that we are because these things happen. They happen in the right time, in the right way. Um, And for you to jettison this idea of having to be above humanness, above mistake, above um, mistake to me is learning. (laughs) Um, And now to embrace the fact that, yeah, I'm going to screw up. In fact, I'm going to embrace the screwing up because it is one thing I know is true and then not let it define me. It's true and it's inevitable. It is inevitable. And when we are condemned to hell by others, but I think more so by ourselves for the mistakes, that is a life in which it is very difficult to experience joy because it is inevitable. As you said, it will happen. And so finding a way to understand that and to navigate that and to embrace that is profoundly healing. Um, what, what was it like with the people around you as you are making this transition into rejecting this uh, notion of perfection, um, that it is reality in any way, shape, or form or attainable. Um, how, how did the people around you respond to that? Uh, it just so happened that um, I changed jobs around the same time and um, you develop work friendships and uh, you're together and you get to know each other really well. 
uh, get to know each other's habits and spend more time with your coworkers than you do your family on a regular basis. Well, that changed. And a lot of times when you change jobs, you lose touch with people. And so it was just kind of a natural thing that occurred. And people noticed something's different, something's going on. But it wasn't really talked about a whole lot. It just was a process that I was going through. Um, Bottom line, I still loved people and cared for people. I still volunteered. I still did my work. I just have um, a different attitude about it and uh, a different perspective. And I'm easier on myself, uh, especially when I mess up on things. And I'm much quicker to give grace than before. When I was 25, I was in a car accident, and my son was in the back seat. And I thought there on the side of I-35 that I was going to die. And the dash was crushed in on me. And I could hardly move, but I could see my bones outside my body. And a man came to my window, and he said, My name is Angel, and I'm here to help you. And he got my son out of the back seat, and it turns out he was just asleep. He didn't even require a Band-Aid. I required um, seven major surgeries to repair my arm and to learn to use my left arm again, and I'm left-handed. It included uh, my bicep being detached, uh, implanting a battery and screws and part of my hip bone to get back to being able to use my arm. And I thought, God saved me. He gave me such mercy. I'm such a sinner, but he gave me mercy, and he saved my life, and he saved my son, so I have to serve him and be exactly what I'm supposed to be because next time he might not save me. And I I even had people tell me that it was the sin in my life, and that was the reason God was, it was a wake-up call from God. And that's what I was told, and and it's what I believed for years. And things just happen. Life happens. Somebody was speeding in the rain and lost control of their car and crashed into mine. God was not punishing me by putting me through this and putting my my completely innocent child through this. And God did not use this other driver and impact his life that way just to punish me. And realizing that and celebrating, yes, I survived that. Um, My scars are proof that I've been through something and I hid them for a long time. I would not wear short sleeve shirts, sleeveless shirts. When I married my husband, I wore a strapless wedding dress because now I can embrace those scars and I can be okay being imperfect because there's a perfection in the imperf- in the imperfection and we all have it and we're all for the most part, insecure and medicated to get through day to day, but we try to cover it up and we try to use these Facebook filters and we try to put all the good stuff on social media. But at night when we close and we lock the door, we are all the same hurting people wanting to be loved and we're not giving each other grace and mercy and space for that. I want I want to always be remembered not for the person who judged everyone and the person who tried so hard to be a good Christian but for somebody who loved like Jesus somebody somebody has asked recently um, about about religion and I said I hope that every time I meet with somebody that it's a religious experience because I love them. 
Jesus came and he exhibited love. And if I want to be Christ-like, I must love. That does not include the judgment and putting myself above other people or even below people. We're just people and we're on this journey together and we need to hold hands and get on with our work together, side by side. It's so interesting to me <clears throat> getting emotional over here, which is pretty typical for me um, because I'm just so moved by uh, how brave and bold it is to wear your scars out loud. Um, that has been my own journey as well, is just embracing, hey, this is Emma. Um, a lot of people don't like it. <laughs> uh, and my mom and I joke because she just will go out in public and people say, oh, I love your tattoos, I love your hair. And she's like, I don't, I'm the mother. And I'm like, mom, you love it, you love it. But there is this, you know, showing up with the scars to prove how sacred this experience is when we embrace it and when we choose to approach it from an aspect of love and to jettison the judgment and the othering and this notion of perfection which causes us to oppress others and ourselves. Um, a really profound experience for me growing up was my father took my sister and I to uh, the musical Rent, when it came out as a movie. We are kind of a musical theater family. Uh, I was a vocalist in a former life um, before I went into psychology. But um, my dad's a profoundly spiritual man. Um, and I remember we were walking away from that movie. And, you know, it's about a group of friends that are sex workers in the LGBT community kind of down and out, oppressed in poverty and uh, living a bohemian lifestyle in in New York City during the AIDS epidemic and AIDS crisis. Um, and I had been raised with all of these beliefs about those sorts of people, um, you know, in the church, in church people's conversations. Um, and my dad said, you know what? I think those are the people Jesus would have hung out with. And that just profoundly impacted me because when we think about what's real, as yes. you are saying, I think about to me like that truth or that inner knowing. And I remember saying, yes, that's Jesus. Um, and so this following the heart of Christ as opposed to the religion of Christianity um, it seems to open up these doors to love, and that is love of others, that's compassion, all the things that Jesus spoke about um, in the Christian Bible, but also this love for self, yes, which is the medicine that that little girl in your poem so desperately needs. Tell me about the journey of loving yourself. What has that been like for you? I always wanted people to look at me and say, oh, she's so pretty. In fact, I remember in eighth grade, one of my guy friends said, Colleen, you're so cute. And it was offensive because I did not want to be cute. I wanted to be pretty. There was a point where I wanted to be Miss America. Um, that was right before I wanted to be a um, fighter jet pilot. <laughs> um, but all of a sudden... I don't want people to look me in my face and say, you're so pretty. I have a friend whose husband was texting her the other day, you're so pretty. And I thought, I don't want my husband to tell me I'm pretty. I want people to look me in my soul and say, your soul is beautiful. And hiding behind the hair and the makeup and the fashion and everything, it no longer matters. Now, there are days when I look at myself and I'm like, wow. <laughs> um, my, my grandmother passed away when she was 91 and she was flawless. And I, I, I will not be a flawless 91-year-old, but I'm living and I have all of that 
to show. I mean, I, I've got it in my wrinkles and my the gray in my hair that's coming out. And my eyebrows aren't perfectly done. And they probably won't be because I don't want somebody up in my face doing my <laughs> eyebrows. But I'm becoming much more comfortable just raw, real me. Well, and, and I can attest to this fact that um, your soul is beautiful. It is so apparent. And I've, I've also learned to look past the things that we are taught are markers of goodness, of beauty, of pretty, of enough, of validation. You know, external validation is probably still my drug of choice. And I am trying to detox. It's so hard. It is so hard because, you know, it's a survival mechanism. When you have lived a life of pain early on, if I can just get this little piece of validation, if I can just have someone notice something good about me, maybe I'm enough. And that's not about our inner worlds. It's not about feeling enough, being enough. It's if somebody else will say it, then that will make it true. And I'm going to sit here and say we probably know this both in the same way that that external validation does it never fills that hole. It's never enough. It's never enough. And it leaves you only wanting more. I think there should be like an Alcoholics Anonymous for us Mm -hmm. uh, that we need a a 12 step program to be able to move past this need. Mm-hmm. And it is a need because it is it is the thing that we potentially did not receive when we needed it. Um, and and I, I don't know what it's like to be anybody other than me, really. I hear stories and I help people in the ways that I can. I really consider myself a healer in the work that I do. Um, and I'm able to see the beauty in people very easily. And I'm grateful for that. It's harder in myself. Absolutely. Um, But yeah, there is this need for support in a new value system based off of the internal experience and how that can shape you as opposed to what the world sees. And, and, um, you know, you just said that you're, you're 45, I'm 39. So generationally, I think we have both experienced, um, how damaging social media and this more access to people commenting and making remarks and putting their opinions out there that are really just based in their own um, dogma, whether that's religious or otherwise, about what is right and what is wrong, what is good and what is bad, what is How many videos do they have every single day? You've been doing this wrong your entire life. Mm -hmm. And how you crack an egg. You know, I can crack an egg the way I want to. Yeah, I don't need you to tell me that I've been doing that wrong my whole life. Social media is filled with that. Mm-hmm. And so tuning into your inner experience of what feels right and what feels good. And I would imagine a lot of those experiences are um, about kindness feels good, about acknowledging suffering feels right, about validating another person's experience even if it's not your own and then valuing it because they are also a human those are the things that that you know probably are creating your internal network of how to navigate the world would you say that that you are kind of turning in and experiencing things internally more and trying to find value there or finding the value there definitely and wanting to hear everyone else's story knowing why why are they like they are and making sure that they see their worth that they see their goodness because a lot of times nobody ever told us and we need to be told that absolutely well and and you've spoken to this and I think it's pretty evident about you that you are a person who wants to speak those things over others, speak the beauty of their soul, speak the validation of their experience. Um, 
because it is something that you know is desperately needed from your own journey um, with your nonprofit. That seems like a place where you get to speak love, speak kindness, speak compassion, speak affirmation of lived experience. Has that been an important part of your healing process, turning what you have experienced into helping others? Yes, and realizing that if one specific population is marginalized, all are and I can't advocate for one and oppress another. And, you know, there are those um, those biases that we all have that we don't know exist. And they did. And I, I feel like I've worked through that because, using a religious term, I would be a hypocrite if... I defended the disability community day and night for all my life, but I allowed other people to be oppressed. Mm-hmm. Gosh, what you're speaking to is so much of my heart. Um, I am an intersectional feminist, which means that I look at people and the world through oppressed identities, and so that may be sexual orientation, race, gender, socioeconomic status to really see and try to understand their inner world and their inner emotions and um, when you're sharing that it reminds me from Buddhism of the Bodhisattva vow which is to suffer with the other until all suffering is eliminated Um, I actually have a tattoo on my leg um, and it's a quote by Audre Lorde who is a feminist um, in the 70s and 80s and the quote says I am not free while any woman is unfree even when her shackles are very different from my own and I am not free as one person of color remains chained nor is any one of you Um, and so to meet another woman who is proudly wearing her scars who has in whatever way we want to term this taking the bodhisattva vow to suffer with the others to err on the side of the oppressed um, is such a beautiful experience it it is a delight to my soul and to me that is the work of christ you know when i when i think about my own life um, every time that somebody drew a line in the sand jesus stepped over it to stand on the side of the oppressed and so you know, I don't know what what's next after this lifetime, but I do know that I am called to stand with the oppressed. And sometimes that is me. And that's really hard. It's so much easier when it's somebody else. But when I'm in a room and I look around, I try to determine through this lens of difference and oppression, what is the most oppressed voice here? And that is the voice that I am tasked with elevating and coming alongside and lending any power or privilege that I might have to to freeing that oppression. Um, and so, gosh, I, I really resonate with what you're saying and admire you and respect you. And I'm excited to become your friend after this. I hope you'll have me. Um, I've already thought maybe we can go to lunch together. <laughs> Absolutely. How, do you speak about these things with other people, this this idea of seeking out the oppressed as a white woman, as I am also a white woman? You know, this isn't conversation that I have very often just with somebody that I'm meeting. Um, do, where do you get to talk about this stuff? My husband and I have very deep philosophical conversations, um, but on a regular basis, not not a lot. I do have um, some some friends, and we exchange ideas and and bounce things off of each other, and share a lot of things on social media. Hey, have you read this? Have you seen this? But honestly, there's not a lot of time to sit down and and chat with people on on a regular basis when it can get that deep. Yeah, that, that depth, is, it is a treasure to find someone that you can discuss these things with. Um, and I think 
you know, you are doing this in the way that that we can, which is to live it, right? You know, I may not have time to talk about it, but if I live my life in accordance with that, then there is this inner peace and alignment um, that I'm on, I'm on the right track, I'm on the right path. And it necessitated you having to have that judgment ripped out of your fingers because when we have judgment, we other people, and when we other people, we cannot align with their stories, and we cannot see their oppression, and we cannot connect in that humanness. And, and we can't love. And we cannot love. And and it does bring to mind in a lot of um, American nationalist Christian culture this, we are the best, we are the one way, and also we should be like Jesus, which kind of causes my brain at this point to become scrambled eggs. I'm like, how do these things ever hold space in a way that is true or real? Um, and so what profoundly spiritual work you are doing within yourself and with your life in community with others. Um, just so so much respect for it and, and so much value. And I'm, I'm grateful that we have this opportunity to talk. I really hope that people listening will not only be amazed by your story and your overcoming. You know, this is a fraction of the things that you have gone through in your life. Um, and listeners, I'm sorry, but I'm going to be pursuing a friendship with Colleen. And I hope that we get to share more about each other so we can be more inspired. But I think that this is a really necessary conversation for people to hear um, you know, there may be some heat about it. We're talking about um, a religion that that um, a lot of people are very aligned with and haven't had bad experiences. And, and you know, they, they can't relate to this story, which just so happens to be Colleen's and, and mine, though the details are different. Um, but I hope that there are people that might hear this and awaken. Um, I will say, Whoever it was that called you out, I am so grateful for them. And I am so grateful for the situations, the places, and the people that have called me out in my life so that I could become in the same way that you were called out to become. Have you stayed in touch with that that person? No, we've we've lost touch over time as you know, our lives have evolved and children and families and things like that. But um that that moment will always be in my mind. Absolutely. And and you were talking about we we may get some heat for this. Um, in the same way that I used to judge, how can you be a Christian and not do that? Um, and and being called out. Well, that's their experience. Some people are as passionate about their religion and their God. Uh, I lived it, I know, mm -hmm. but I'm not telling anybody you're wrong for what you're doing. I'm saying I'm doing what's right for me. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm doing what I need to do for me. You keep doing you. you. You figure out what you need to do to be truly you. I'm not judging for that and saying it's no longer my life and what a profound freedom comes from not having to be responsible or not having to um you know approve of anybody else other than your own contract with yourself to continue to do the best you can with the knowledge that you have and we gain knowledge every day you know i can't guarantee who i'm going to be a year from now and i tell people that you know, my own uh, reconstruction uh, after deconstruction, I, I find that I, I don't even really have beliefs anymore. I just have values because I'll learn and I'll believe a thing and then I learn something else and I believe that thing. And what it really comes down to are the values of compassion and kindness. And and I am really grateful that you did speak to that. Um, you know, n lack of judgment for even religious diversity, you know, that's one of the things that within my practice, 
um, I think about spiritual identity and religious identity because we do have in our country a dominant. And so when there's a dominant, that's the privileged identity. And so we live in a Christian nation. And so there are privileges that come with that. It's not that it's bad. It's not that it's wrong. It's just that there's an understanding that people of other faiths don't have their holiday decorations that they can buy at Walmart. And they don't have the holidays off from work that are in alignment with with their um, religious orientation. So your spiritual and religious identity is a profound thing that people um, deserve to have and get to have and is not something that we are criticizing in any way here. Um, it is just uh, bringing to awareness within your own narrative and within my own narrative um, the ways in which those things didn't work for you, didn't work for me in terms of healing or wholeness, um, but absolutely no judgment towards the people who they work for. Right. Um, and to set people free to be on their own path of finding themselves is just such a relief. <laughs> not needing to be right has taken a huge weight off of my shoulders, I think, in a way that when you talk about not having to be perfect or, or, or um, being able to make mistakes, it's just like, oh, okay. Now that that's off the table, right? I, can I find live. myself thanking other people when they make mistakes, <laughs> saying, "Oh," and and not pointing out, "Oh, you made a mistake." But you're human, and I'm human too. Wow, look at us. Yes, and look at us in the gray area because, um, you know, there is no good or bad. There's just life, which is the gray in between. Yes. And embracing that really frees you to not have to feel attacked if people have different perspectives from your own and, and just being able to listen. And so, yeah, I hope that that you have brought into the conversation today um, something to neutralize any heat because, um, you know, I like a good hot tub and sitting by the fire up north in the winter, but, you know, the, the point of this is to open and expand people's compassion and understanding um, and and not to demonize any way of um, practicing religion or believing, believing um, but just to listen to the heart of this story. And so I'm grateful for that. I know that sometimes, as I, I told Colleen before we started, I can stick my foot in my mouth real easy and really quickly, so I anticipate that will happen. Um but just the same way I love white, white males as an intersectional feminist, I also love Christians. I also, you know, there's no right or wrong, good or bad here. We're all just kind of doing the best we can in the midst of it with what we know. And beating people over the head, getting in their face and screaming and hollering, telling them you're doing this wrong, that is getting us nowhere. Absolutely. It's relationships and conversation and love and understanding. That's the only way that things change. I 100% agree. And and so I'll invite our listeners today as we're kind of wrapping up. I have one more question for Colleen, but um, to, you know, extend the same grace that we are talking about towards us you know I need so much grace I am very imperfect and very flawed um and also trying and have a good heart and and so you know if anything that's being said has been offensive just know that the intent has not been for that um the intent here today is to open space for this loving compassionate kindness this listening and, and I have hoped that the stories that people will be brave enough to share, because it takes a lot of courage to come on and own your story um, in all of its imperfection, um, I hope that, that it is received with an openness to hear the human component and that people may be able to connect with some aspect. Um, I do have a strong sense that there will be many people that will connect with your journey and your story and you're overcoming, and and you're being Colleen. I wouldn't want you to be any other way. Um, you have been perfect for today in your imperfection. Uh, the thing that I want to ask as we as we end our our conversation that is being recorded and begin our friendship 
is what message would you want to tell other women or men or individuals that may be in the place of suffering, um, struggling to set themselves free in the way that you were freed? What, what words of wisdom do you have? You are loved more than the world and you are needed and find someone who can help you get out of your situation find someone who will accept you and love you find your community and look forward to better days that's that is beautiful better days are coming and it reminds me you are reminding me in your journey of finding what is real about that story of the velveteen rabbit um i would advise anybody and everybody to pick it up whether you have kids to read it to or not because it is about how being loved being in this thing that is love that is relationship that is the human experience um it makes you rough around the edges it gives you scars but at least you know that you are real and that's what love is we're not going to come out pristine and if you do, I don't know that you're living and maybe you're even lying to yourself a little bit. But this is a beautiful message from a beautiful soul. Um, find the people that see it. Seek that light. Seek that love because that's what it's all about. And that's what's real, even if it scars us up a little bit. Thank you so much, Colleen, for being here today. Um, listeners, I hope you're as enthusiastic as I am about this woman and her work and the way that she has taken suffering and turned it into such beauty and such purpose. Um, so I'm just so grateful. Thank you so much for coming and sharing with us today, Colleen. Thanks for having me. All right, listeners, I will catch you next time when we hear from another amazing human being with a story that's going to blow your mind um, and maybe just maybe expand your heart because that's what it's all about. All right, we'll catch you next time. Bye. Follow me on Instagram and Facebook at Dr. Emma J. Church for updates and podcast schedule. Catch the show on your favorite podcast platform or at roguemedianetwork.com. This has been a Rogue Media Podcast. Podcast.